0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Last week we returned to our series in in the 23rd Psalm and we we go back there again today. We've got today and then next week and then I start a new series I'm really looking forward to as well. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that one next week. But today we're talking about God's antidote for hurt in, in in our life because we live in an imperfect world. And uh, in this imperfect world, you are going to be hurt in life. I hate to be the bearer of bad news to you today, but that's just the facts. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be hurt by accident. You're going to be hurt by illness. Uh, but some of the deepest wounds that you will encounter in life will be the hurts that are inflicted on you by other people. Uh, relationships are usually the greatest source of stress in our life. They are also the greatest source of blessing and joy in our life. But, but people do hurt us. And sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's accidental. But uh, the problem is, is our response to those hurts. The problem is how do we respond when we get hurt? That's really what we're, we're going to talk about this morning because our response to the way we get hurt is usually wrong. So before we can look at, at God's antidote for the hurts, we need to take a look at the five things not to do when people hurt us because there are some things that we have a tendency to do that can really mess us up and these are the things that cause problems in our lives so I want to talk about those before we talk about the solutions and also in this uh, this is where we have a little bit of fun you'll remember about a month ago on Facebook I asked you for a little help for an upcoming sermon this is that sermon so you offered some suggestions to me and you're going to see which ones I thought were worth keeping (laughs) this morning so uh, number one what not to do when you get hurt don't ignore it don't ignore it. This is the Clint Eastwood approach to hurt. Right? Don't suffer in silence. Bite the bullet. Be a macho man and pretend that it doesn't exist and hope it goes away. Don't do that. We often do this. We cope with our hurt by just pretending that it doesn't exist. And we can do that in several ways. Number 1, we do that with denial. We just we just well, I don't have a problem. What problem? I don't have any problem. You know, I, don't, I don't have any problem. People hurt us and we say things like, that didn't hurt. You know, you're, you're walking or carrying yourself around, you know, can barely walk, and it's like, no, I'm not hurt, I'm fine. No, dude, you're, you're messed up, admit it, okay? Don't deny it. We do it by minimizing. We might acknowledge that we've been hurt, but then we say, it's not really a big deal. I mean, inside you're dying, but you can't acknowledge that and you won't tell anybody, so we minimize it. And the primary way we do it, we procrastinate. We procrastinate doing anything about it, and I'm a... Master procrastinator. I don't know about you, but one of my philosophies in life is why do today what you can postpone till tomorrow? You know, that's, uh, that sounds like a good idea, but you know, when you really start to think about it, it's not a good idea. We say things like one of these days I'll go to the dentist. Well, you keep putting that off, and let me know how that works out for you. One of these days I'll have that surgery. One of these days I'll we'll go to marriage counseling. We know we need marriage counseling, but you know, we'll just we'll just put that off. No, if you keep putting that off, it's just the problem's going to get worse. And so we put it off, and we put it off, and we postpone the unpleasant. It's just what we do. We we don't like to face it. I mean, let's just be honest. Nobody wants to charge headlong into something that's going to be really unpleasant. Here's the problem. Ignoring the hurt never heals it. Ignoring the hurt never heals it. The hurt that you're trying to ignore right now will not get any better unless you address it. People say time heals all wounds. I don't know about that. You ever sat in a doctor's office? Sometimes putting it off can just make it worse. It doesn't get better, it just makes it worse. If you're sick, if there's something wrong, waiting does not help. It makes it worse. Psalm 39 says this, I kept completely silent, but it did no good. And I hurt even worse. My heart grew hot within me while I meditated the fire burned. Procrastination turns minor problems into major ones. It just gets worse and we fester and our wounds get infected, and the problem begins to spread if we don't deal with things immediately. So don't ignore it. Second thing is, don't run from it. This is also known as the Barney Fife approach. Don't run from it. Retreat. Don't run from your problems. Don't be a big chicken, don't, you know, where you don't want to face anything. David tried this as well. Psalm 55, I wish I had wings like a dove, he said. Then I'd fly away and rest. I would hurry to my place of escape. Now listen, it is human nature for us to want to do that. It's human nature for us to want to get away from difficulty. We don't want to face it. It's no accident that when you go to a public space, a public building, all the doors exit opening outward, right? Because in the event of a panic Everybody just starts running away from the problem, so th- those doors are made to open away, so that people can get out, and they don't, you know, they're not jammed up against the door. We we try to run away from our pain, and in today's culture, there's all kinds of different ways for us to try and escape our pain. We do it through movies and television and Netflix. And, and truth be told, that you know, if we really started to examine it, most of us probably escape from our problems with way too much of that kind of thing. But Some people use alcohol or they abuse drugs, and, and again, you shouldn't do that. Shopping. Some people, they just escape their problems by, they think if they just go buy something else. I'll just go buy a new TV or I'll go buy a new car. Hey, let's, you know, our marriage is in trouble, let's go buy a new house. Well, that's a great idea. It's a wonderful idea. Not... You know, you you spend all your time on the internet just trying to find a way to escape the problems in life. Some people get a divorce to escape the problems in their lives. Some people just retreat to social media. I'll just live all my life on social media. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because there's no dysfunction on social media, right? Here's the thing. You can do any one of those things that I just listed to try to get away from your problems. But when you're done, you still have the same problem. It's not, they're not going away, and most likely, nothing has ever really resolved or changed except that the problem got bigger or closer or more out of control. And you've put it off for so long and, and, and run away from it for so long that it's now become this monster, and you have no idea how to attack that thing. When people hurt, you don't ignore it and don't run from it because running never made anything any easier. It never heals anything. Third thing, don't hide it. Don't hide it. This is the Johnny Cash approach. I use Johnny Cash because Johnny Cash was deeply wounded by his father. And as he grew up, you could just tell he was hiding a lot of stuff. He just kind of, you know, a lot of what Johnny did in his life was probably the result of some things that had happened to him as a young boy around his dad. Just by way of, just for fun, the secondary thing I thought about using here was the Lone Ranger because he wore a mask because what we're talking about here is is don't mask it don't mask your pain don't hide it and act like it doesn't exist or you know don't don't try to keep it to yourself tell somebody some of you have gotten quite good at masking your pain you have nice clothes you have a pleasant smile but you've been hurt by somebody very very deeply and sometimes we hide it and we don't like to admit anything and we play this game called is something wrong ever played is something wrong Hey, is something wrong? Oh, no, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Are you sure? Because it seems like something's wrong. No, nothing's wrong. No, I, I I can tell something's wrong. No, nothing's wrong. And we just play this game. Married people are great at playing this game. And I'm seeing you smile at me right now, so I know that this game gets played in your marriage, okay? Why do we hate to admit it when we're hurt. Why? We have no problem letting people know when we're angry. I mean, goodness gracious, just go on social media and you will find people that are angry. But somehow we don't want to admit it when we get hurt. We use all kinds of things to camouflage the pain. One of the things we use is materialism. I'll just go out and buy something. You know, they just go shopping. Let me just tell you, possessions never compensate for the pain. You can get all kinds of new things. All you're going to do is accumulate a bunch of junk. You're going to eventually be taken off to goodwill anyway. Don't do that. When you're hurt, all the possessions in the world will not soothe the hurt. You can't ignore it. You can't run from it. You can't hide it. Psalm 32, verse 3 says, When I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside me. I moaned all day long. Hiding a hurt will only intensify the hurt. It only makes it worse. One of the core values at Cross Lane is the idea of being real. We highly value being real around here. We want this to be a place where real people can share real problems without being made to feel like they don't belong. So if you've come here this morning and you're perfect and there's nothing wrong with you, you need, this needs to be your last service at Cross Lane, okay? Because around here we're real and we're honest with people. And we, the, the thing we say around here is we are jacked up, okay? We are and i've said this many times if you don't walk with a limp if there's not a little something wrong with you i am not sure i trust you right like i need to know that that you're real i need to know that you walk with a little bit of a limp and so we just believe that where people are accepted and they're loved they can find safety in those kinds of people because it's in that type of environment where healing is most likely to take place now one of the phrases that something happened in the early part of 2018 and midway through that I wanna I wanna address a little bit and I wanna kinda take something back because we lost something in 2018 and it's ours and I'm not gonna let social media steal it from us but about midway through the year this phrase this hashtag came up called me too you remember that the me Too movement and I'm not taking anything away from that men should behave themselves and women should be treated right I'm not saying anything against the, the movement or anything like that, okay? I get that. But we used to use that phrase around here. That was our phrase because the, the idea behind that, we've had t-shirts made. We had cross lane t-shirts, cross lane on the back, me too on the front, and people would say, What's that all about? Well, that's our church. Because if you come to our church and you say you've got problems, I can look at you and say, Me too. Me too. We, we all We all have issues. And so we just believe at cross lane that, that when someone is, is hiding something and, and you know, they, they don't want to let it be seen. We think that's not good. We think it's better to just be honest and say, you know what, I struggle too. I, hey, you, you've been through that? I've been through that. Let's talk about, let me tell you how I got through that. Let me tell you how the Lord helped me overcome that. And so we're taking that back. I had a friend of mine that, you know, I gave him a, a cross-lane Me Too t-shirt. He sent me a picture of it and he said, I can't wear this anymore, I said, I understand. I I get it. I understand why you can't wear that. But that's ours. And so, daggone it, we're taking it back. So, me too, right? Um, Have you ever noticed that when you find somebody that struggles with the same thing you do, that it just kind of makes you feel better? Suddenly, you don't feel like such a freak show? Wasn't it a relief when you found out that that couple that you thought was perfect, when you found out they were going to marriage counseling? Wasn't that a relief? I mean, not that we wish that on anybody, but here's the thing. See, just be real. Just be real. I I love it. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I talk to these young couples, you know, and I'll look at them and I'll say, now, do you guys fight with each other? And I think they think I'm expecting like the the Christian Jesus answer to that, which is no, we never fight because they will typically look at each other like two cows dying in a hailstorm. And they'll say, you know, they'll, they they just, they kind of wilt, and they say, oh, no, we never fight with each other. And if you tell me that in pre-marriage counseling, I'm going to get all over you, because I'm going to say, well, you, you have no business getting married, because you don't know, you've yet to figure out how to work through a conflict, because I can promise you, when you get married, there's going to be a conflict, okay? There's just going to be. There's just no way around it. You don't take two people with wills of their own, slap them together, call them a couple, and then they just go on happily for the rest of their life. No, there's going to be stuff. And so that couple that you see off in the distance and you think, oh, they're perfect. No, they're not. No, they're not. And when you, see, when you find out that, that beautiful, wonderful couple gets real with you and says, no, you know what, we struggle with some stuff. And and truth be told, once in a while we go talk to somebody and they kind of help us figure out what some of our problems are and we work through it. It just makes you feel better to know that you're not on your own because if if no one ever tells you that they struggle too and you think you're the only one, you feel like a freak show. And so if there's value in, in, in hearing those words, me too, me too. Don't you feel better? Not that you want anybody's kids to go through a hard time, But don't you feel a little better when you see Mr. and Miss Perfect and their kids act up a little bit, right? One of their 2.5 perfect kids starts acting up a little bit, and you're like, oh, great, it's great to see that I'm not the only one with kids that don't always behave. I'm not the only one with kids that don't always toe the line or do it exactly right. I mean, it's just kind of nice to see that they've got that, they're struggling with it too. And again, not that we're rooting for anybody to go through pain or have problems, no, that's not it. It's It's just knowing that we're all in this together it's helpful for us. We always feel better when we're in the presence of other people who have the same struggles as us, but we can't ever know that if we're not honest enough with each other to say, you know what, I struggle with that too. That's a problem for me too. How did you get over it? What are you doing to cope with it? Here's what I did. This is what the Lord taught me. This is what's helped me through this thing. James says it like this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sharing your hurt is the starting point in the process of getting over it. And as long as you hold it in and as long as you hide it in your heart, you're never going to get better. Some of you are in here this morning and you're holding on to hurts that happened to you years ago and you haven't gotten over it and you're still hiding it. In a crowd this size, understand this, that all of us have hurts and they are different, but we've all got them and you are not alone. And it is highly, highly likely that somebody else is in this room with you this morning and they share something very similar to what you're struggling with. Someone hurt you, 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 you've, you've been disrespected, you've had something taken from you. Someone's ignored you, you've been misunderstood, you've had your motives questioned, could be any number of things. You are not alone. You may think you are, but you're not, and chances are very, very good that you've walked into a room this morning with people who share the exact same, if not the exact same, very close to the same thing you're dealing with. You don't heal yourself by ignoring it, you don't heal yourself by running from it or hiding it. Number four, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is a C-3PO approach. He worried about everything. Worrying doesn't help either. And we, we, we fret and we stew and we love to be uptight and anxious about stuff. We talked about this in the very first message in this series about seven or eight weeks ago. Remember I said worry is really an attempt to control the uncontrollable in your life. That's what worry is. That's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to control the uncontrollable. And all kinds of, I got all kinds of feedback on this had people walking up to me like, Brett, that's my number one thing. I just, I worry, worry, worry. So here's the question. After hearing the sermon, after having some time to think about it, having six, seven, eight weeks to work on it, are you any better off? Are you any better? Are you not, are you worrying any less? You should be. See, worry is trying to control something that you can't control. So you worry about it. Worrying about it is a form we said a couple weeks ago about it's a a form of trying to play God. And we are miserable when we do that because we all know we're not God. We know we we can't fix every problem in the universe, but boy, we sure try. Job says this, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. Worry never solves any problem. It it never heals a hurt. In fact, really all worry does is to increase the size of your pain. Every time you worry about something, you play that video over again in your mind, it gets bigger and bigger, and when you worry about, about a problem, it just magnifies the problem. You have one of two options this morning with whatever it is you're carrying. You can either magnify the problem, and your God will be minimized, or you can magnify your God, and your problem will be minimized, but you can't do both. You're making a choice. Which thing, you know, it's that, that whole deal about there's two dogs in you, which one are you feeding, the good one or the bad one? Are you going to magnify the Lord? Or are you going to make him big? Or are you going to make him the king? Or are you going to make, make the problem the king and, and look at your God and say, well, you're kind of wimpy and small and you can't help me? Every time you rehearse it, every time you remember and you play it over in your mind, you go back there and it hurts all the more. It's like picking a scab that won't heal, right? When I was a little boy, I had this little scab on my arm and I just, I, you know, I just got fascinated by it and it would scab over and I would pick at it and it would start bleeding and I just thought that was like macho and cool. You know, when you're, when you're 12, it's like blood, awesome. That's great. But, but it just, that, that wound had a hard time healing. I just kept picking at it. It would scab over and I'd pick it again. Well, that's what we do with our problems. Got to quit doing that. Number five, don't resent it. Don't resent it. This is the Darth Vader approach. He was a very resentful person. Resentment never helps, yet we still do it. When people hurt us, we become bitter, we get angry, we get cynical. We get all closed up and we become full of self-pity. Job said you are only hurting yourself with anger. Bitterness hurts you far more than any hurt you will ever receive. I don't care what's happened to you, your bitterness over it will be far more destructive in your life than the actual act itself. And just let me take a side note right here for a minute and just say that most of the bitterness, if not all of the bitterness in your life, is driven by one thing, and if you could overcome that one thing, you can overcome the bitterness, and here's what it is. It's pride. It's pride. And let's just be real with each other for a minute. I say this all the time up here. You know, following Jesus is is really, the idea of following Jesus is very simple. It's hard to do, but the idea is really simple. Just follow him and do what he does. One of the things Jesus did is he emptied himself of all of his heavenly glory and he came to earth and he allowed himself to be crucified to a tree that he made. He subjected himself to a people that weren't nearly as smart as he is and don't know near what he knows, aren't nearly as wise as he is, and he submitted himself to them. He humbled himself. There was no pride in Jesus. So if you want to be like Jesus, empty yourself of pride. And as you empty yourself of pride, one of the things that will go away in your life is bitterness. It can't be there. You can't be bitter and be like Jesus. You can't be full of pride and be like Jesus. And if you've got a bitterness problem, if you've got a resentment issue, if you've got something that you're saying, Brett, I just can't get over it, pride is at the root of that problem. And as you cut down, take an ax and cut down that tree in your life, you're going to find that the bitterness goes away. But it only goes away as you begin to act like Jesus. Bitterness is a poison that will kill you. It eats you up from the inside out, and it perpetuates the hurt. Bitterness allows the past to control your present. And some of you in here this morning, this is your biggest issue, and you will not address it. Bitterness allows those who have hurt you in your past to continue to hurt you. We're resentful because we think by being resentful we can hurt the people who hurt us. But let me just let you in on a little secret. Resentment only hurts you. It doesn't hurt the person you're bitter at. It just eats you up from the inside out. You can be so upset in your mind and so resentful, and all it does is keep you preoccupied with your hurt, and you feel you know, like you've just been slighted, and, and they, they, you know, whoever hurt you just goes on their merry way. They don't know you're upset. They don't know you're resentful. They don't know all this revenge you're thinking about. Resentment is a self-defeating attitude that doesn't work. Job, you are only hurting yourself with anger. You have to let it go. Now, if none of these approaches works and they don't, if if ignoring it and running from it and hiding it and worrying about it and resenting it doesn't work, what do I do? Well, as I've said, we're in this series and the series focuses on the 23rd Psalm. I I just have learned a bunch. I I mean, I've when I do funeral sermons, I talk about the 23rd Psalm all the time. But I've, in this series, I've learned a lot. And in this passage of Scripture, you read the first four verses, there's a, there's a shift that happens in verse 5. Because up until this point, he's been talking about a field. He's been talking about shepherds in a field. Now, that kind of turns and he starts talking about a feast. And David uses the imagery of a banquet and he gives us three symbols to illustrate three steps that we need to take in order to heal our hurt i'm going to give you those but first i want to read you the verse it's verse five there's three things in this verse i want you to pick these out okay you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows now you hear that and you think well boy brett that doesn't you know like rot my socks off okay i've heard that before I mean, that's, that's the 23rd Psalm. I've heard that all my life. You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is my prediction for you this morning. You're going to leave here this morning, and you're going to know things about this verse you didn't know coming in. This is a very deep and textured and layered and rich verse of Scripture. So, so get yourself ready, because I'm going to teach you some things, and this will help you to get over the hurt. Okay, you ready? Here we go. What do they mean? They're symbols that represent... How you get healed from your hurt. Number one, you got to let Jesus settle the score. You got to let Jesus settle the score. Don't try to get even. Don't seek revenge. Don't retaliate against those who have hurt you. Instead, trust God to even the odds. Give it to God and say, God, I'm going to let you settle this score. It's not my job, it's above my pay grade. Not going to do it. And you know what he'll do? He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. What does he mean by that? Sheep have many natural enemies. Wolves, coyotes, bears, snakes, ticks. Sheep are, are helpless and defenseless uh, animals. They, they really can't defend themselves. They don't have sharp teeth. They don't have claws. They, they, you know, they're not very fast runners. They can't kick. The only thing I've ever seen a sheep do to defend itself There was a video I saw on social media one time, this guy, and it was clearly in a foreign country, he decided he was going to ride the sheep like a, like a horse, and so he gets on and he's riding it, and clearly it's, you know, the sheep is not happy about it, and eventually the, the sheep, you know, he hops off the sheep and he turns his back and starts walking away to his friends, and he's kind of making this thing like, you know, look at me, look what I did. Meanwhile, the sheep has turned around and is running full speed at his rear end, and He rams him in the rear and knocks him to the ground and runs off. That's about all sheep could do, you know. They're pretty defenseless. They don't really have anything to help them fight back. So they can't really eat safely unless somebody protects them. The job of a good shepherd is to go and find what we would call a table land. It's to go find a land where there's plenty to eat, and then the shepherd's job is to make sure that that flock of sheep can eat in peace and know that they're not going to be attacked in any way. So he brings the sheep in, he he provides a safe place for them to eat, and they eat. And God would say, let me handle the hurts that you have in very much the same way. Listen to Romans chapter 12. Never pay back evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honest, clear through. Don't quarrel with anyone. Be at peace with everyone just as much as possible. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for He has said that He will repay those who deserve it. Now, listen to me. God knows the people that have hurt you in your life. He knows. He saw it. And He cares about you. And, oh, by the way, newsflash, He cares about them too. And He can settle the score, He knows exactly what needs to be done. He knows exactly what lessons that person needs to learn. He will take care of it. In fact, Paul tells us one day God is going to settle the score and God has far more resources to settle scores than you or I do. He knows exactly what he's doing. We don't. We need to let him handle it. What he's really saying is as long as you're seeking revenge, you cannot heal from your hurt. You have to decide, am I going to get revenge or am I going to get well? Am I going to get bitter or am I going to get better? It's your choice because you can't do both. You have to let God settle the score. Revenge is big business. I, I mean, just check the court dockets. Just look at how people are suing each other. You sue me, I'll countersue you. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll we'll, play that game. Just for fun this week, I, I went out on Facebook. Not on Facebook. I went out on Amazon. And I, I just, I, I typed in um, revenge. As, like book titles with revenge. This is what I found. I, and I could have gone, I mean, the queue was forever i just i wrote down six the big book of revenge did you know you could buy one like that there's a book called get even there's a book called high-tech revenge there's one called the fine art of getting even there's one called don't get mad get even and then there's one called the character assassin handbook here's the problem revenge doesn't work revenge always backfires and it just keeps the hurt alive And what you end up having is, I'm going to hurt them because they hurt me, and then they hurt you because you hurt them, and then you just start trading these blows back and forth. Revenge always escalates the pain. It doesn't relieve it. You will get relief only one way, and that is through forgiveness. And you're like, oh, see, here he goes. Daggone it. Once, Brett, could we just come to church one Sunday, and you not talk about forgiveness? Just once. So, Let me just take us all behind the woodshed for a minute, okay? Would you consider yourself a hard worker in life? I mean, we all want to be hard workers, right? People ask you, do you work hard? Yeah, I'm a hard worker. Okay, let me ask you this. Are you a hard worker spiritually? Because if you're not someone who forgives, don't tell me you're a hard worker spiritually. Because the hardest work you will ever do in your spiritual life is to forgive the people who hurt you. You have to forgive the people who who hurt you? You say, "Brad, I don't want to hear that." Well, listen, that's where it all starts. That's why at the crux of everything, we are forgiven people. That's what that's what being a Christian is all about. We've been forgiven of all the junk that we've done. And we know what we've done to God. So you can imagine what we do to one another. We tear each other up and we do things. And, you know, sometimes we mean it. Sometimes we don't mean it. Sometimes we're misunderstood. Sometimes our motives are are misunderstood. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But if you're not willing to do the hard work of forgiving the people who have hurt you, stop calling yourself a Christian. I'm not saying you're not one, but you've got a long way to go. I mean, people walk up to me all the time and they say, Brett, I'm having a hard time forgiving this. I'm having a hard time forgiving this person. I get it. I understand. I know it's hard. But this is the hard work of faith to dig down deep and figure out a way to forgive the people who have hurt you. You say, Brett, I knew you were going to go there. Let's talk about forgiveness for a minute. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay that you hurt me. That's not what forgiveness is. Because it's not okay. Forgiveness is not saying what you did really isn't that big a deal. That's not forgiveness. Because it was a big deal. And it did hurt you. And you're limping because of it. And you've got this thing. And it's like, man, that really hurts. And I don't know what to do about it. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't hurt. It did hurt. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means giving my hurt to God and letting him settle the score. Forgiveness is you don't owe me anymore. You don't owe me anymore. I'm going to let you get away with that. And we think, oh, see, Brett, I don't like that. But see, pride. That's your pride that doesn't want to let somebody get away with something. It's just letting God settle the score and say, you know what? I'm going to let you handle the situation. I'm not even going to try. And I'm going to let you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and I will not try to get even. I'm just going to eat. I'm going to let you handle all those enemies. I'm going to let you handle all that other stuff. I'm just going to keep my head down and eat. You've got my back, God. Now, why in the world would I do that? A bunch of reasons, really. Number one, you've been forgiven by God. You've been forgiven by God. So you're going to tell me that you're going to take forgiveness, but you're not going to give forgiveness? Something doesn't seem right about that. Number two, resentment makes you miserable. Number three, you're going to need forgiveness in the future yourself. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. What you dole out, that's what you're going to get back. Second thing we learn from verse 5 is this. We need to let Jesus soothe my wounds. Let Jesus soothe my wounds. It says, you anoint my head with oil. What does he mean by that? Shepherds put oil on the heads of sheep for two reasons. They do it to soothe And they do it to heal. The worst enemy of sheep is flies. Sheep hate flies because there's just very little that that the sheep can do about them. You know, they don't don't have hands. They can't shoo them away. They don't really have a tail that will work to do that either. And so summertime means fly time for sheep. And they fly around, and this is going to get kind of gross, but this is kind of a National Geographic part of the sermon, but you need to know this. The, the the flies will fly up the nose of a sheep, and it'll lay its eggs up in the nostrils of the sheep, and then the larvae begin to hatch, and it drives the sheep crazy. That's why once in a while you'll see sheep rubbing their noses on the ground like furiously, or they'll they'll you know n- banging their head against a rock because there's something up in there and it's just driving them nuts. And so there are times that that you know this happens with a sheep. It's true, isn't it true? That the little things in life are the things that irritate you the most it's the little stuff it's just like that one thing that just you can't get over it somebody did something major to you you had no problem getting over that but that little thing and and every time you get a chance to talk about it yeah but that that look at that and somebody's like man that's small no it's not so shepherds this is what they do they take olive oil they mix it with a little bit of sulfur and they anoint the heads of all of their sheep and that, that, anoint, that ointment begins to act as an insect repellent and it keeps the flies away. And it's, the shepherd says, I will take care of the irritation. I'm going to take care of that irritation. So when he says he anoints my head with oil, what he's saying is God takes care of those irritations for me. I'm not caught up in all that stuff. I'm not, I don't spend all my time trying to figure out how I can get revenge on somebody, how I can resent somebody, how I can talk them down, how I can do this, that, or the other. I'm just going to let all that stuff go. Another way oil is used is as a salve or an ointment. When a sheep has an open wound, the shepherd will take that ointment and rub it in there. They didn't really have bandages, they didn't have Band-Aids, so they would just put oil in it. You anoint my head with oil. He says, you're going to soothe my wounds this is such a beautiful picture because this is the exact same thing that jesus wants to do with the hurts that you have experienced in your life psalm 147 says this god heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds god says not only will i settle the score i if you come to me and let me have your hurts i will not only take care of it but i'll do the repair work necessary and help restore your soul god can soothe your hurts if you've come in here this morning and you're kind of beaten up and banged up and maybe you know the church has messed you up or people have messed you up or whatever you just need to come in here run to god and just give it to god and say god this this guy's telling me that you can soothe some of this stuff i need you to do that he will god can soothe your hurts he can bandage that stuff up once you've been for once you've forgiven a person that has hurt you, that doesn't mean, though, that you don't have any more hurt. Of course it doesn't mean that. You know, people say, Brett, if I've forgiven, does that mean the hurt goes away? Well, of course not. No, it's, it's going to hurt for a while. Most people don't understand this. Forgiveness is instant, but restoration takes time. Forgiveness can be instant, but restoration may take you know, hopefully in your marriage it's a, an hour or two and things get back to some semblance of normal. Sometimes that's not the case and it can go a little longer. You know, relationships, sometimes we, we get into stuff and, and it can be weeks or months before things really, you, you get past it or you get over it. Psalm 147, God heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. When you get a small cut, you don't necessarily need a bandage. A lot of times it just bleeds a little bit, you can kind of wipe that blood away and it kind of, you know, clots up and, and things are fine. But the deeper the wound in your life, the worse it gets. I have not told a lot of you this, but um, the night of the candlelight, I, I decided, I've been wanting to get pictures of the band in rehearsal with all the lights on, I wanted some real dramatic pictures of that, so I brought the drone in here because they, they had all the lights going and told Shelby I'm gonna shoot some video of you and she's like okay and so I tried it last year and it got away from me up front so I thought I'll go to the back and I'll just get it like a foot off the ground well I did and it started to drift and I did what I know I shouldn't do and that is to I stuck my hand down there and like I mean the propeller spinning so fast it slipped my finger open in two places like bam bam just like that it was dark and I'm, now I'm trying to figure out the drone, I'm trying to, and then all of a sudden I feel this moisture on my hand. I'm like, what in the world? I look down, my hand is full of blood. This is an hour before I'm supposed to preach at the candlelight. So, you know, some things you can just kind of wipe away, and it goes away, and it's all right. Some things, you've you got to dress it. You've got to take it in and bandage it up. So here I am, a half hour before I'm supposed to walk out in front of you, I'm wrapping my finger because I cut it with a drone, for crying out loud. I mean, just stupid things that happen in my life some things that happen in your life the deeper things divorce the rejection of a parent or a child theft things even deeper than that that we won't talk about but that are definitely there those things do not heal quickly a deep wound has to be bandaged and dressed a lot of Christians tend to think that once they've forgiven somebody and, and they, they're, they're going to immediately be well. You're not going to immediately be well. That doesn't mean you can't forgive somebody. You may carry some hurt for a while, but you can still forgive somebody. You may have to wear a bandage. You may have to be in a cast or be in a brace of some kind. But see, what we often do is we keep ripping the bandage off. Am I healed yet? Am I, am I okay? Am I healed yet? It just takes time. How does Jesus heal our hurts? I want to give you four things real quick. We're almost done. Four things. Fellowship, the support of a a local church. A bunch of you are here this morning. That's great. While I've got a bunch of you here at one time, let me just say, stop not coming to church. You need to be here, okay? This is a support place for you. This is a place for you to come be with other people and to be encouraged and to be healed. And to be with people who are like you and want the same things that you want. You need support. You need fellowship. You need to be around people that believe what you believe. Second thing is prayer. Take it to God. Unload, don't explode. David was the master of this. Read the Psalms. Number three, worship. There is healing that takes place when you offer up your praise to God, He will heal your heart as you magnify Him. Number four, ministry. Serving someone always helps the hurt. When I'm doing um, counseling with people, if they come to me with mild forms of depression, if it's deep depression, I don't deal with that. I send them on to somebody better trained than me. But if it's a mild thing that they're struggling with, the thing I will tell them to do almost every time, go do something for somebody else. Go serve somebody. Go do something for somebody else. Get your mind off yourself and go help somebody else. Here's what happens when you do that. When you start to help somebody else, you begin to feel like a hero. And when you feel like a hero, your mind is not on you anymore. It's on, who else can I help? That feels really good. Who else can I help? And before you know it, that mild depression begins to lift because you're serving other people. Listen, God knows what he's doing. He made you. He knows what you need. And one of the things he calls you to is ministry. Now, Cross Lane is a hospital for hurting because we offer those four things, fellowship, prayer, worship, and ministry. So healing occurs in two stages. Let's say you broke your arm. Let's maybe you had a surgery. There's always two phases to that healing. The first is the be still stage. Right, there's, a, there's a point in time where you just got to be still. You don't move it. You don't, you don't stretch it. You don't put any weight on it. You just, it, you know, it, they, a lot of times they'll put it in a cast so you can't move it. But eventually they take that cast off, and that's when you move into the second stage, which is, The moving stage they get you up immediately. They want you moving around I go to the hospital to see you guys and you've had surgery and stuff and I'll walk in and you're like yeah They've already had me up today, and I'm like really yeah, because they don't mess around do they they get you up And they get you moving there's a little bit of time they give you to recover then they make you move And then they send you to someone called a physical therapist This person usually has a background in the military And they're intent on doing you physical harm. They want to hurt you, but but they're going to do it to help you, right? We don't like physical therapists because they make us move in ways that hurt. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. I don't like that. But the physical therapist's job is to make you do things that you wouldn't do on your own so that your body can begin to heal. Well, that's kind of what God is. He's kind of like a physical therapist. He's going to call you into things. He's going to do things and lead you into things that that are uncomfortable for you that that you're like "Uh," you know that that's it's it's it feels weird and we say to God you know God I'm not healed yet and God's like no you're you're ready it's time for you to get out there and to serve but God I'm not ready get out there start serving start worshiping start praying to me start praising me there's time to be still but not forever Here's, here's another thing that you need to understand about your pain and your hurt. Even after you've been totally healed, you are going to have a scar. I, I mean, I, got, I can show you two little spots on my finger where that drone got to me. I'm going to have a scar. When you have a scar, you have a choice. Every time you look at the scar, and you're going to see it, right? Like, the, the, if we all started comparing our scars, well, let me show you the one I got when I, you know, jumped my bicycle over trash cans or, You know somebody comes back from the war and says let me really show you a scar and then we all just kind of go you win right But when you look at the scar, you've got a couple of options. You can either remember the hurt You can remember the person who put that hurt on you Or you can remember the healer and you can remember that you've been healed It's your choice My suggestion is that you remember the healer emotional scars is where you will find God's grace. And when you remember that defeat or that failure, that divorce, that hurt, that that thing, and you think to yourself, I am a trophy of God's grace. When you look back on your emotional scars, what I want you to think is, I am a trophy of God's grace. And instead of focusing on the hurt, start focusing on the healing. There's one final step in restoration. We'll do this very quickly. Let Jesus satisfy my needs. Let Jesus satisfy my needs. My cup overflows. What does that mean? Overflowing in the Middle Eastern times was a symbol. When you read overflowing in the Bible, what that's talking about is that's talking about satisfaction. Overflowing is a a phrase for satisfaction. It's basically saying I have everything I need. The Middle East is a desert desert. If you see somebody's cup overflowing in the desert, it means somebody's wasting some valuable resources. Wine or water or something like that, my cup overflows. You need to look to God to meet all your needs. Why is this important? Because the major reason we get hurt is because we expect other people to meet the needs that only God can meet in our life. And we put that expectation on somebody else, and it's not fair to them to do that. We look to other people, maybe a parent, maybe a wife or a husband, an employer, a friend. We look to somebody else to meet, meet our needs, and then we get disappointed. No person can give you absolute security in your life. No person. Nobody can give you all of the love that you need in your life. Don't put that on one person. Nobody can do that for you. No one person can make you feel completely happy and fulfilled. And if you expect that somebody's going to do that for you, you are going to be disappointed in life and you're going to be disappointed in them. And it's not fair to them. Don't do it. God never meant for you to have all of your needs met by another human being. You have needs that can only be met by God. And if you're expecting other people to do that, you are going to be resentful because they just simply cannot perform at that level for you. They cannot love you unconditionally 24-7. They cannot make you happy 24-7. They are not God. God can meet all your needs. He never runs dry. He never has a bad mood. He never lets you down. And when you look to him, your cup will overflow. Brett, overflow with what? Three things. Write these down. My cup will overflow with hope. Romans 15, God will help you overflow with hope in him through the Holy Spirit's power within you. My cup will overflow with love. May the Lord make your love to grow and overflow. 1 Thessalonians chapter three, and number three, joy. John sixteen. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and your cup of joy will overflow. Now let me teach you this one last thing, and we'll get out of here. Okay, this is cool. In the Middle East, there's a custom. Do you know how you know in the Middle East that it's time for you to leave someone's home? You know how you know. Like if you walk in and they offer you a drink they pour you some wine or they pour you a glass of water or whatever it is they pour it you drink it you put your cup down if they pour more in there it means you're welcome to stay and so you say they pour it again they refill it you, you drink again you put your cup down they refill it you drink again if they don't refill your cup that means hit the road toad you're done that's it it's over all right it's time for you to leave I've, I've already given you three cups it's time to go so But if the host thought, you know what, I really like this person. I really like them. I want them to stay for a long time. Do you know what they do? They would take whatever they're pouring and they would pour it until it overflowed onto the table. And when it overflowed onto the table, that was a message to you. And what that message was is, you're special. You're special and you're welcome to stay here as long as you want because I like you and I want you to be in my company. And so when God says, your cup will overflow... What God is saying to you is what I say to you all the time. God thinks you're amazing. He loves you so much. And when he says your cup will overflow, what he's saying is you're special. You're special. I made you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want you to stay with me forever. My cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a deal that you, he says, I'm look, I'm going to settle your scores, I'm going to heal and salve your wounds, and I'm going to satisfy your needs. You cannot find a better deal than that. It is a banquet of wholeness, it is a banquet of health, and it is a banquet of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we all walk in here this morning having been hurt. We, we, we're all carrying them. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be like 90% of the people in the world who just carry around resentment and bitterness for the rest of our lives because somebody hurt us. I pray that we would follow Jesus. I pray that we would take his example and we would listen to his teaching when he said, turn the other cheek. Empty yourself of pride. Don't get all caught up in in resentment and, and revenge and trying to get back and avenge. I'll take care of all that. You just forgive. And Father, the thing about forgiveness is it's so hard. Such hard work. But Father, that does not excuse us from doing it. And I pray, Lord, that this morning we would begin to work on our resentment issues. I pray that we would see that as we, if we're ever going to get over the hurt, we're going to have to let go of some bitterness. We're going to have to find some forgiveness. We're going to have to let go of some things and revenge and resentment and retaliation. God, we just got to let go of that stuff. They do not owe us anymore and we will live freer and richer and fuller lives in jesus if we can get to that place so father we need your help and we ask for it now it's in jesus name we pray amen